you for joining us again today for another episode of our Pops Power of Public Speaking podcast. We're here today with another guest host or guest for our season two of the podcast, Josh Hoops. And Josh, I'm just going to ask you if you'd like to introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, well, hello, everyone. Uh, I am a professor at a liberal liberal arts college in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I've taught public speaking for a number of years. I was a communication major in college. And when I graduated from college, I went into marketing and did that for a couple of years. And I had an opportunity to go and teach English in China for two years. And that's where I discovered a passion for teaching and uh, a love and a joy of public speaking in particular. And so then I went back to grad school and many years later, here I am. Well, thank you for being on the episode today. I've, I've just been blown away by the different backgrounds and expertise and just quality of all of the guests that we've had on the podcast and, and you being one of those. So I really appreciate you being here with us today. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for all our, our listeners. We've had a pretty good turnout as far as uh, our season two. We've got people from all different backgrounds. I know there's a lot of educators out there, but we have students listening as well, and also just general professionals and people that care about public speaking and what our motto is, the power of public speaking and, and what that can mean. So which, with each of these episodes this season, we've looked at different ways that our guests have been able to utilize that power and help students realize that power. And today we're going to be talking with Josh about his use of service learning in the public speaking classroom. And in particular, it's an activity which involves a partnership with the local or with local middle schools in uh, Kansas City there. And it helps students develop their capacity for audience analysis and adaptation. Uh, so we're going to ask Josh to talk to us a little bit about that today. I guess uh, to get started here, maybe what, maybe give us a little bit of a background on this and what prompted you to create this speech assignment. Yeah, so kind of in lock stock with the, the whole theme of, of this podcast series, you know, helping students to tap into the power of public speaking. You know, I think for me and probably most public speaking instructors, we're always thinking about ways to, to innovate and to make our, our teaching more effective, to provide activities and assignments that are going to help best prepare them to be successful as public speakers. And I had taught public speaking for a number of years, and I had gotten to a point where I had become somewhat discontented with the way that I was teaching it. And the reason for that was, you know, I, I began thinking a lot about in what world, in what context would an individual be asked or have an opportunity to give a speech on some random topic to a captive audience of their peers? And the thing is, you wouldn't. You, you wouldn't really have that opportunity. And so I began to, to really wrestle with, was it possible for me to create a more quote unquote authentic experience where my students would be giving a real speech with a real topic to a quote unquote real audience? 
And so that's kind of what prompted the development of this particular activity. Okay, awesome. I, I, you, you get caught up in every day of just teaching public speaking, and I feel like you don't always question, is this actually reality? Is this <laughs> what people are actually going to face? So I, I appreciate the fact that you took that perspective on it and tried to make it applicable to the real world for your students. I guess maybe to help paint a picture of the assignment, could you walk us through the different components of, of how this is made up? Yeah, so obviously the first step was to begin kind of making my way into the local community. And so I did a number of different things to, to develop these relationships. I just just a very quick background on myself. You know, I'm from Southern California and I did my doctoral work at Washington State University. And so I'm, I kind of consider myself a West Coast boy. And so I was hired at this college in Kansas City, Missouri. And so I didn't really know many people. I didn't really have many relationships. And so it took a lot of work in that first year to kind of get myself out there, you know, doing a lot of networking. I attended local, uh, you know, Chamber of Commerce meetings, for example. And through this work, I got connected with uh, with uh, an administrator with the North Kansas City School District. And I began to share kind of my vision for public speaking with this administrator, and she kind of got excited about what I was wanting to achieve. And so she put me in touch with uh, AVID instructors at middle schools in, in her school district. And so for those listeners who may be in, in different parts of the country where you don't have AVID, Essentially, the purpose of these classes, which are offered to seventh and eighth graders, um, is to prepare them to do well in high school so that they can can successfully apply and thrive in college. Like that's the whole purpose of the class. And so through these connections, I was able to craft in in partnership with the 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 school district as a whole, but then these individual instructors as well where there are different there are a couple of different parts to the assignment so the first is you know after my we discuss audience analysis with the students we then go and take a field trip to the middle school where the whole purpose is to to get to know them and so my students will put together icebreakers to kind of help break down some of the barriers that might exist you know it can be kind of intimidating a college student coming into your class you know you're a middle schooler and and so wanting to kind of do a couple just silly activities to kind of uh, create some rapport between my students and 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 the kids, and then out of that it transitions into an opportunity where the will break up into smaller groups where my my students will ask them questions about you know what they know what they like what they are interested in learning more about college, and then they will then will come back to the campus and throughout the rest of the semester, they'll use that information that they gleaned during the field trip to help them create, you know, well-crafted, tailored presentations to, to the particular group of kids that they got to know and meet. And then the second part of the assignment is the kids at the middle school will then take a field trip to our campus where they'll hear these presentations that have been uh, especially crafted and targeted to to them. So middle schoolers, I, I know, so we're talking sixth, seventh and eighth grade, are they 
all in one grade? Do they go all over the, the three or what age group does that typically? Because I know a sixth grader is way different than an eighth grader. It's kind of a transformational stage there. So where do you see most of the students being? Yeah, that's a good question. It it has varied over the years. Uh, I would say I don't think we've had any sixth graders um, during during my time, you know, over the past decade or so doing this activity. I would say most of them are either seventh or eighth graders. And on occasion, it's been hybrid classes of both seventh and eighth graders. And yeah, it, it, it that's a that is a great segue into the whole purpose or the objective of the activity is to to really train my students in audience analysis. And you know, while they may have a tendency to lump the seventh and eighth graders together, like, oh, they're middle schoolers. They do have different, uh, you know, experiences, interests, backgrounds, and you know, it is a different dynamic being a seventh grader in middle school than it is being an eighth grader in middle school. Absolutely. So you mentioned objectives. So your main objective for your students is to be able to adapt to your audience and and be able to apply this in the real world. What other objectives, learning outcomes come out of this assignment? Yeah, the the objectives are similar, I think, for any public speaking class, which is, you know, to organize a speech well, right, to have transitions, have a, uh, you know, have an introduction that grabs the attention of their audience, to, to use vocal variety, to integrate visuals into their speech well. But then on top of that is this heightened, this heightened um, aspect, which is to adapt all of that to this particular audience. So the, sp the particular introduction technique that they use is going to be specifically catered to the things that they learned about their, their audience or the vocalics that they use is going to be kind of with that mindset of like, OK, this is who my audience is. So how do I need to use my voice to best uh, to, to best appeal and to, to be effective and and kind of winning them over, if you will? and. Uh, and so that's that's the main objective is to take everything that they've learned and then the entire class is filtered through the lens of that particular field trip and has really enriched the discussion that we have as a class and has also enriched um, the the level and the quality of the, the work of they're doing in their in their presentations. So as far as results other than being able to enrich the students, see higher quality of work. What other results have you seen? Maybe even as opposed to not having this assignment uh, with students who have done this versus students who have not. Yeah, yeah. So let me do a little bit of comparison and contrast because I think that's a it's a really important question. You know, prior to prior to launching this assignment. What I found, you know, to me, audience analysis is one of, if not the mo most important skill that we develop in this particular class. And I found that audience analysis is often dismissed as maybe in, in my experience with my students was often dismissed as like not important or maybe like as an obvious thing. And so they would engage in very simplistic um, at best or like stereotypical at worst audience analysis. And 
And what some of the things that that uh, you know I found through this activity is an opportunity to kind of challenge their preconceptions, right? So the students will come in and I present this assignment and they'll think like, well, I was a middle schooler four to five years ago. Like I know what that experience was like. And so they kind of have the, this idea in their mind like all middle schoolers are the same. And oftentimes when we talk about audience analysis or when I ask my students to reflect on like how did you adapt your speech to your particular audience? Oftentimes the answer is something like, well, this speech I think is good for anyone, right? Anyone can get something from this, which there may be some truth to that, but I really wanna push my students to think like, how best can you adapt your particular message to that, that audience? And I think anyone who has taught public speaking probably has gotten that response at some point, which is, well, I just think that this topic or this speech is good for anyone, right? There's kind of this universal audience that appeals to. So I thought it might be interesting um, for your for your listeners, Tyler, to kind of share just some of the specific examples of what I'm kind of getting at here. Uh, so sometimes we visit a class and the student, the, the, the kids are very active. They're very energetic. They joke around with each other and, and with, with my students as well. And then sometimes we go to to visit a class and they're very quiet, they're very shy, they're very reticent. And you know that's a very different audience dynamic. And so that poses a challenge for my for my students to think like, okay, how do I go about presenting this information to an audience that's really revved up, right? As opposed to like, how do I get this? How do I get how do I get my audience to engage with me when they're so quiet and reticent? And so that's been really fascinating to kind of explore that that tangent with with my students. And then sometimes, you know, they learn things about the the, the kids that really surprise or shock them. You know, one of my students, she really wanted to do a whole thing on the Lion King. And she brought that up during the field trip. And then she realized like, oh, none of them know what the Lion King is. And so she had to really reverse course. Uh, or, you know, another example, you know, one time we went to the school and the only thing that the kids wanted to know about was, was, uh, was you know, the careers that make the most money. Uh, and so they're like, oh, okay. So they went and they, they did all of that research and they presented that to to the kids. Uh, one one year we went and one of my students interacted with some middle school kids who had had been bullied quite a bit by others, by their peers and their classmates. And so she went back and she took this information and crafted a really interesting and compelling and supportive message for for those those kids that really needed to hear it. Um, and then a lot of times they're really surprised at how much information that they already know about college. You know, they'll come back from the field trip and they'll think to themselves like, wow, I, I didn't know any of this stuff when I was in middle school. Like I didn't know, I didn't know the questions to ask. And so when we go into the field trip in their mind, they're thinking like, okay, I'm going to start at like level one, whatever level one is in terms of the, the quality or depth of information that I'm going to present. And then when we leave the field trip, they're like, oh. I need to start at level four, right? Level one, two, and three, they already know that. And so I need to kind of up my game, so to speak, uh, in terms of the information that I'm presenting to them. And uh, and so I think one of the things that I get most excited about this activity 
is seeing their their creativity that that comes out of it, right? So, you know, sometimes the middle school kids ask questions like, do you have a curfew, right? Or they're surprised to learn things like that they don't go from, they're not in class from like eight to three, like they might be. And so this has led to, on a couple of different occasions, my my students will create presentations about like the 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 benefit and the curse of freedom that you have in college, right? So on the one hand, that freedom allows you to explore your passions and things that you're interested in. But the curse of it is that, you know, it can lead to procrastination and you might engage in mismanagement of your time. And so those are some of the things, as an example of, of one of the topics that students have come up with as a result of really trying to understand the interests and the background and the needs of of their audience. And I, I was thinking when you said that you've got uh, middle schoolers who might be excited or shy, I, I guess if they were excited, you'd really have to strive hard to keep their attention. So you're not mm -hmm. only catering to a certain uh, audience as far as topic, but you have to cater to the audience and how you're presenting the information too because I thought about you saying there's these sort of one-size-fits-all topics but I think people have to consider that how you deliver that to the different audiences could make all the difference whether that particular audience is going to come away with what you think this universal message is. Mm -hmm. Yeah absolutely absolutely you know, I think it it poses an interesting challenge for speakers. You know that that enthusiasm that the audience, like the hat that it brings to the speech event, is something that should be cherished and embraced. But it also can go over the board, where you can kind of lose control of the of the of the ship, if you will. And so, how do you ch how do you channel that energy in a way that doesn't that doesn't get things off the, the tracks, if you will. Uh, and so, you know, when you have a really energetic audience, right, I think there's an opportunity to bring up like volunteers, right? They get really excited, like they want to kind of show off for for their classmates. And so you can kind of do some of those things, whereas with the more quiet and shy group, like you don't want to put people you don't want to put the spotlight on one or two students, right? Because they'll feel very uncomfortable, but you want to still involve and engage the entire audience. And so can you do activities or an exercise that everyone is involved in as opposed to the more energetic group where you just bring up maybe one or two people, just as an example of something that you could do to adapt to those different uh, audience dynamics. And maybe you said this, but so I was listening to the different, types of topics that come up in these speeches and it sounds like a lot of them are derived from the conversation that was had on the field trip but then I heard Lion King so do they come so the field trip stage is when they go to the middle school and they do they go with any sort of topics ready for that day or is that just a presentation on hey we're here we're from college what questions more of a Q&A to help learn about the audience yeah, I mean, the whole purpose is to learn about their audience. Uh, you know, what are they interested in? What questions do they have about college? Uh, what are their interests, right? These are the, this is the focus of the field trip. And it can be kind of a challenge, you know, because, you know, college students like to talk. And sometimes the middle school kids will ask questions 
and they'll want to answer it. And if they're really, if it's a really quiet and shy group, my students will want to fill the gap. But really, I stress to them like the whole purpose is for you to learn about them. Um, they'll have a chance to learn more about you when they come to our campus. But the whole purpose is to to be really listening and learning rather than sharing and giving information. So when the middle school students come onto the college campus, is that when the presentations are presented to them? Correct. Okay. Makes sense. So do they sit? Are these group presentations or individual presentations? How many do they typically sit through? Yes. So that's a it's a, that's a good example of a meta conversation that we have with the with my students, which is, you know, that one of the ways that I adapt or I'm going to adapt to this group of middle school kids is I'm not going to ask them to sit through, you know, 20, 25 you know, five minute speeches. So instead I break them up into groups of like four or five. So that's typically how many speeches that they will, that the middle school kids will be asked to listen to. Okay, that makes sense. I was just thinking through the logistical side of that. And I know how many speeches, like if you're going through a standard speech day in class, it could take two or three days. And uh, I could see middle schoolers interest kind of wane toward the <laughs> the end yes. of that but groups make sense that's a smaller group and it probably helps keep attention a little better and um, so how do you go about from an instructor perspective scoring all of these groups I guess they're going on at the same time mm -hmm. yeah so I'll be in one room and taking my notes as usual but then I will ask uh, students to film the other speeches and so I can go back and you know, uh, grade them after the fact. So they're all in their own rooms. Mm -hmm. Okay. At first I was picturing just this one big loud room of <laughs> one person's in that corner and that corner, but so they do have, uh, an isolated experience where they can truly give a presentation and they're, they're not talking over the other group. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, in this, I mean, the whole experience as a whole, but I think this is an, uh, this is another good example of this. The students really, need and do kind of take ownership over the assignment because they because it is it is a more of an authentic experience than kind of the one that I was describing at the beginning of the podcast, which is right, they have an opportunity to to really make a difference in the lives of the the kids that they're working with, right? These are these are students who these are kids who have questions. Right, they're there. They 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 want answers to their questions, and so they have an opportunity to really impact right the trajectory, and maybe in small some small way, but 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 because because the experience is more authentic, I I have found that they're more likely to take ownership and be more invested in the outcomes rather than just like yeah this is a speech that I need to get done for my class. Absolutely, I think too often. I was just speaking with an instructor yesterday talking about how how can they get their students to become engaged in the class or or they had a certain number even drop the class in the beginning and they're like how it seems like there's just a lackluster uh, just motivation around classes especially since people have been on and off of campus it's been online things have been hectic people have got many things going on in their lives more than normal probably hopefully we're getting back to some normalcy soon but and it's starting to already but she was talking about how can I get students excited and I, I guess I sort of tried to give a recommendation not to do this assignment but in this vein of give them 
a sense of audience. And I, I tried to focus on the class there, but it seems like especially when they see an external audience like these middle schoolers and have their message make an impact on them, that is a great way to make the class interactive. And I've always said of public speaking classes, you get out of the class what you put into it uh, and that can go either direction. You can get nothing out of the class and just get through it and mark down that you've checked that box for graduation or it can be a life changer professionally and personally and that's what I always say and that's why me as an engineer I'm now (laughs) on this podcast today and and why I uh, work with with pops and pops classroom we that's how all that started. It had a huge impact on me. So it, this that's what's interesting about this assignment to me. It seems like a almost surefire way to get the students engaged in that way and make them care about the class. Yeah, and, and I I want to caveat one one thing. Not not all of my students will seize this opportunity, right? So as an example, you know, sometimes students will be like. I'm going to speak about what it's like to be a student athlete. Oh, that's great. How many of your how many of the kids that you met with during the field trip uh, are interested in sports? Like they play sports, they watch sports and none of them. Well, then why are you choosing that as your topic? But I would suggest but I would say in in kind of affirming what you just said, Tyler, which is my percentages have gone up in my experience to how much that there is a lot more investment and engagement in the class because there is that authentic experience and that real audience attached to it. I kind of mentioned a little bit about um, just changes in the last year. And I know when we talked before, you said that you had suspended this assignment during COVID. And I just wanted to ask you your experience with that kind of, did you miss the assignment during COVID probably? And um, you said you'll be returning back to it soon. And I just wanted to kind of ask you your experience with that in the last year and your general experience as a public speaking educator during that period. A lot of our other guests and hosts on this season have touched on that. And I think it's it's definitely something that it, it almost feels cliche at this point. But I think each person has brought a new perspective and a, a good nugget of information. So I wanted to ask you about that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there are a lot of different parts to that question that you just asked. I mean, so the first part of your question, which was about, you know, what what are the plans for this particular assignment? And you are correct. We did have or I, I did make the decision to suspend it. I mean, middle schools weren't allowing visitors onto their campus. And I also was very uncomfortable about continuing it during the pandemic and probably for fall semester it won't be um utilizing this particular assignment. Uh, I, I, I did miss it. Uh, it's one of the things that I, I most, I mean, I, I enjoy teaching public speaking regardless of whether or not this assignment is included, but it definitely is something that makes me more most excited about returning to the class because, you know, whereas a lot of the public speaking theories that we go over in class are very similar from semester to semester, this assignment produces new outcomes um, every time we do it, right? Because the the kids are different and my students are different. And so, yes, it definitely is something that I've missed. And right now the plan is to, 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 to reintegrate this assignment next spring uh, into the class curriculum. Uh, yeah, in terms of the second part of your question, which is, 
you know, how the pandemic, I think, impacted the way that, uh, you know, that I went about teaching this particular class. And just a little bit of a background for, 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 the, for your listeners, uh, I did teach public speaking in person this past year. And so everyone in the class was six, six feet apart and were wearing masks. And, you know, I know a lot of public speaking instructors are quite adept at offering this particular instruction virtually. I was not one of them. I kind of struggled with that. And so I wanted to be in person as wh whatever that was going to look like. And yeah, I really had to rethink, um, you know, rethink, you know, a lot of the activities, you know, it's very, it's a very interactive class. You know, uh, I like to do things in small groups and, you know, I like to pass out a lot of materials that we use. And so I really had to rethink a lot of the ways that we offered this particular class. Um, but one of the things that I did was I tried to engage my students in a lot of meta discussion about the ways in which the pandemic was impacting their performance. And so some of the things are pretty are probably pretty predictable, you know, things like they had to project more, right, because the mask was stifling their their projection or the the audience was so spread out and so it made eye contact more difficult or their facial expressions were were um you know suppressed because the audience couldn't see them and so out of that they try to become uh they, they tried to compensate for that in other ways right so using more intentionality with their eye contact and their vocalics and their gestures, which was a really interesting development that I don't know if I had fully anticipated going into the semester. And it was and 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 as a secondary um, outcome, uh, I think a lot of the students shared that they had become more resilient as a result of taking this class during the pandemic, right? So, you know, they they realized that things that they might have taken it taken for granted, right? Like practicing their vocalics beforehand, they realized they couldn't do that. So, you know, before coming into class, they were practicing in the dorm rooms with their masks on because they wanted to try to get the, the volume just right. Uh, and so that was something that was really interesting for me to hear the students kind of share about their experience taking this class during the pandemic. Thanks for, for sharing that. I, it's been interesting to me, I guess, in the perspective that I have, that I talk with a, a lot of different instructors from a, across the country, and I see the different ways that people handled the pandemic and teaching during the pandemic. And I thought it was particularly, particularly interesting for public speaking educators to go through these hurdles because, in a way, how those as educators deal with this and go over these hurdles sort of lends to their credibility in the fact that public speaking, I think you don't know always what scenario you're going to be in when you get out there in the real world. And as much as you try to prepare students for that in class, obviously this is an extreme example that we don't want to just have to go through all the time, but it's, it was interesting because I, I think a lot of people did a great job more so than, um, maybe a math professor. I don't know. I'm just throwing something else out there, something more regimen. But this is uh, very much a a living skill. I think that it, it's been interesting to watch how people have, have dealt with that. And it's it's almost been like a crash course in dealing with the unexpected for the last year. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, a- absolutely. It, it, I think, is cultivated for everyone, not just students, but faculty, uh, people in their in different professions. It is cultivated adaptability, which is an important skill. And, you know, in terms of public speaking, right, you can never fully control the variables on the ground when you are in a new space, right? Uh, you know, I, I remember when I was giving a when I was doing my interview presentation for for my school, uh, I was right in the middle of my research presentation, and all of a sudden, the the PowerPoint had been hijacked by a different room, and obviously not as severe as the pandemic precautions, of course, but it certainly required me to really adjust on the fly. And I think the students, after a point, I mean, yes, yeah, certainly there was some frustration about having, you know, all of the different protocols at times, but I, but I was really, um, I was, I was really overwhelmed by their capacity to kind of take it in stride to adapt to those different circumstances, and then also find new pathways to thrive in a very unpredictable, uh, under very unpredictable circumstances. I've wondered, I, I could just ask your opinion on this. Do you think that potentially students, as they've had to wear masks, maybe during speeches in the last year, potentially has even been a positive as far as helping with some students' anxiety. They kind of have a barrier between them and the audience. And not that that's a good thing, because I think you probably need to learn to get over that. But do you think that probably has taken place in the last year? Yeah, I, you know, I think it was probably, it's, I, I'm reluctant to quantify, quantify my answer here. But it felt a little bit in those conversations that was about 50-50. So half the class, I felt like they shared that they that their their uh, their personalities or their quote unquote true selves were kind of being suppressed. That the audience didn't really get to know them, right? Because and they weren't really able to display the pathos, right? The emotion that they would have wanted to during their speeches or their passion for their subjects because they felt kind of um, handcuffed, if you will. But then the other half of the class, and this was something that I did not um, p- predict going into the class. So uh, it's uh, an astute observation that you're making, which is they they felt that some of that anxiety was was alleviated through the social distancing precautions, through the wearing of the mask. Because, you know, for some students who have moderate to high CA, right? Giving a speech can be a very vulnerable thing, right? You can feel very exposed, right? That people are judging you, like like that's you on display for the audience to evaluate and to analyze. I mean, we know, and we know that audiences don't usually engage in that kind of critical scrutiny that we kind of conjure up in our own minds, but they did feel a sense of like uh, more comfort and confidence because they felt there was that buffer to some extent that was created by wearing a mask and the social distancing. Okay, well, thanks for going over that. I didn't mean to take us too far off course uh, on on pandemic discussion, but I, I was interested on your take on those things. And I, I guess I want to go back to the your assignment and in the sense that we've talked about all the different perspectives of audience and knowing your audience and knowing who's the audience is of this podcast of a broad group from from different backgrounds for someone who does not teach public speaking or maybe is not a student or is a student all the different 
backgrounds that we have listening, what can they take away from this assignment? Yeah, that's a great question. I am a big advocate for the skill set of audience analysis and not superficial or stereotypical uh, audience analysis, but really trying to understand the 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 ways in which the demographic diversity in terms of the interests in in terms of the the language that's empo- employed by by different groups to really understand where they're at so that the the message can be best presented to them right and and whatever the field is i mean you mentioned engineering just a few minutes ago um, but whether you're in business or you're in the medical profession or whether you're just simply interacting with the, you know, a family member or a significant other, really trying to listen and to try to understand. So there's really a, an onus on the speaker to get outside of that mindset of like, I'm the one dispensing information to my audience, but trying to understand the needs and the interests of the one that they're communicating to and then allowing that to impact in substantive ways how they go about presenting information. And it doesn't need, it doesn't mean that you change the the overall goals or objectives of what you're trying to, to achieve, whether it's to entertain, whether it's to inform or to persuade, but it will lead to a higher level of efficacy in, in achieving your goals when you've taken into account their perspective, right? So really trying to understand the speech event is kind of this back and forth, this give and take, this this relational development rather than I am the speaker and I'm going to share with you what I want to share to you. For me personally, it's it, when you're, say, creating a preparation outline, it's like it's taking it from that stage to where I'm writing down information, almost writing a paper to when you're delivering it, it's almost like you're having a conversation with someone who doesn't speak back and <laughs> to more than one person. It's you got to have that dynamic to get that information across to those people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the speech does not exist in a vacuum, right? It's always in relationship to the the ones that you are speaking to. Absolutely. Well, if if someone doesn't take anything else away from this episode, I think that would be a very important takeaway. And and with that, is there anything else that you'd like to leave with our audience before we wrap things up today? Yeah, no, not really. I just want to say thank you for inviting me to participate um, in this podcast. And uh, I hope everyone is is doing well and keeping safe. And, and hopefully we can see a end, uh, kind of the, the a light at the end of the tunnel, if you will, in regards to this pandemic. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Josh. Again, we were speaking today with Josh Hoops, and I'm Tyler Poteet with Power of Public Speaking. And thank you again for listening to our Power of Public Speaking Pops podcast. You can find all the episodes, including this one, on our website at powerofpublicspeaking.com. They're also available via SoundCloud, which distributes out through the RSS feed, through Apple Podcasts, I think Google Podcasts, many of the major platforms. And it will also be available on YouTube, on our channel, on 
uh, POPs community channel, and you can find all of these links uh, from the website where we will post this episode and post a, a blog post about it. So thanks again, Josh, and thanks to the audience. We look forward to you hearing us again in, in our next episode. Thank you.